This is the Ezra podcast. People have been calling me Easy Raw. I don't mind either one, I'll be honest with you. Because my friends, call, like, people call me Easy because, you know, my name's Ezra. And that's the point of Ezra is because it comes from, you know, it just sounds like my name, Ezra. And then, like, it's kind of like a play on words, you know, podcast and coming at you raw, direct. But Easy Raw is fine, too, honestly. Whatever, whatever catches on, I'm pretty much good with. But let's get to it. Let's get this talking about Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyet. And I think, honestly, this is my fight of the year. And I know that that's hyperbolic. And I know that a lot of people don't agree with that because they probably feel it's more one-sided um, than I feel it was because I scored it a draw. And I already know that right there it's pissing people off. I already know that it's pissing people off that I scored it a draw. But I have no problem with uh, Usyk winning. I thought he could have very uh, could have clearly won the fight. Like, I have no problem with that being your scorecard. Now, if it's extremely wide, I, I mean, I might question that a little bit. Some of the rounds are close. Um, I have no problem if, if uh, I didn't. I didn't see it in a way that Joshua could win the fight because I thought the rounds that Usyk won, in my opinion, when I scored it, were clearly his. And the rounds that jo- there was only like one or two rounds that I felt like could have went either way, and I kind of I leaned towards Joshua in them. So I seen I guess I seen that Usyk could win the fight. I w- I'm okay with the draw. I didn't see a way that Joshua won the fight. I'll put it like that. And I could have had the last round almost 10-8. That was close to a 10-8 round, right? Because the ropes, it looked like at one point we're holding up Joshua. Usyk needed to land just like a few more shots for me to just really commit to 10-8. And I'm okay with 10-8, even if you don't get knocked down. I'm okay with that. If I feel like you're on the verge of being stopped, and I feel like it's close to being stopped, and I feel like you're being held up by the ropes, I'll go 10-8 in that round. Around it, like, say, if you wanted to give you an example of what I thought could have been 10-8 round. Or, you know, if it would have continued, like, if the Conor McGregor uh, Floyd fight would have continued. Right in the last round, and he's falling all over the ropes and falling backwards and just kind of surviving at that point. That's a ten eight round. That round ends. So that's how I felt. I felt close to that. Like I had a draw, and I was close to a ten eight in the last round for Usich, which would have put him over and winning. Now a lot of people have this like a clear one sided win for Usich, and I think that a lot of that comes from, you know, him outperforming what you thought or him doing what you hoped he could do, and that kind of sways you that where you just kind of want to lean towards him in every close round. I think that's what happened a lot, and I think there was a lot of good rounds where I'm seeing a lot of negative for Joshua, how he fought this fight, and I can't I can't get there with it because I thought he fought an excellent fight. I thought he boxed one of the best boxers in the world, and he was competitive, and to me, he fought to a tie. He boxed him to a tie, right? And if you've, if, even if he hadn't losing, I thought he lost close, right? He did very good things in this fight. And I think that we go to the simple solution of what he should have did, right? And the, everyone was supposed to go to the simple. Like, he should have ran him down and bullied him. That's that's not a strategy, right? That's not a strategy. It isn't. And there's skill level to everything. Even if you run him down and you're going to put pressure on him or everything like that, you can't just go in there swing wild, okay? That's, that's not the way this works. So everyone that says that, that's just a simple thing to say. That's not a breakdown of the fight. That's not a strategy that you can tell him in this training camp. That's, that's not. So what do you mean when you say that? What do you mean to get on the inside? Do you mean, you know, um, pressure him with the jab? Do you mean head movement to get in like Tyson? What, what do you mean when you say that? Because he's not going to just bum rush him. And he did a lot of good things in there. He made a lot of adjustments. It's just Usage was just making more adjustments. And Usage just had more of the gas tank to do it in the late rounds, to be effective with his boxing. Usage's movement was a problem. We kept saying going into this fight, was Usage going to be able to adjust to the power when really... When the fight played out, it was Joshua that needed to adjust to the speed of the fight and the speed of the foot movement that Usage had. And he couldn't. He couldn't early. 
And he, it looked, he looked a bit confused, honestly, going into this fight because in the beginning, he came in, uh, one of the, you know, one of the lighter, uh, he's one of the lightest weights he's came in and bought in, in a fight around 240. And it looked like, uh, he was just responding in the first three rounds. I would think that's why, like, one of my biggest complaints about Joshua in this fight is in the first three rounds, he was just kind of responding. He didn't really look like he had a set strategy that he wanted to go to. It looked like he was kind of kind of fill the fight out, and I think he was expecting to at some point figure out the timing and knock out Usyk when he landed a big shot. But his size was definitely didn't look like he had that... Like, he definitely had given up some of the advantage in the size, right? And Usyk looked like he had carried the weight a lot... Um, a lot well than we, we thought he would. So the first three rounds, I think the Joshua kind of like gives him up because he doesn't know. He's just responding to what Ustis is doing. And then finally he starts adjusting and he starts uh, being more of the aggressor. But then at that point, it's like, okay, he's going to be the aggressor. Why did you cut all this weight? Maybe you would want more weight behind your punches at that point. Then they just kind of get into a boxing fight. It just kind of goes into adjustments, really high skill level. Usage is uh, circling, and as he circles, he cuts off the, as he cuts like the corner, he gets closer, right? So when Joshua has to turn to adjust to him, Usage is closer. He's able to land his shots, right? He's landing a lot of big straight lefts. Joshua makes adjustments. Usage stops going to Joshua's left. Uh, Joshua starts hitting him to the body. So not letting him go to the right, kind of keeps him on center. This is actually pretty effective. Joshua also starts holding and hitting uh, at a certain point. Never gets warned for it. Or maybe he gets warned once, but nothing really serious. When he kind of was excessive with it. But it was a smart strategy. Everything's, as long as the ref allows it, you know, you, you, you push everything to the limit. And I felt that the biggest flaw of Joshua was just that he wasn't going to be able to keep up the cardio. And I think that maybe that's what he thought going in. That's why he came in so light. He came in as light as he did when he fought Ruiz the second fight. But the problem is when he fought Ruiz the second fight is he moved around the ring. And now that makes a lot of sense fighting Ruiz because Ruiz wants to get in on you. He wants to apply the pressure to Joshua. And maybe he didn't feel like Usus wanted to do that. And maybe he thought he was going to have to chase Usus the whole time. But Usus was moving, but he wasn't moving around the ring. He was moving around Joshua. And I think that that kind of threw Joshua for a loop for a little bit. That it wasn't exactly running away from the power. It was actually okay to get hit. He was actually in the trenches at moments. And in the late round, Joshua just had a cardio dip, which he's, I, you know, which we should have all expected going in. I expected going in. So the way I broke it down is that he would have a cardio dip. And if Usage could take advantage of that. And he did. Usage kind of played out the, the way I told you he needed to do. He needed to have three different parts in this fight. In the first round, he needed a box and being able to steal a few rounds. Well, he stole more than a few. In the middle of the fight, he needed to find a way to put the pressure when uh, Joshua got tired and had the dip. He did do that. And he needed to find a way to hurt Joshua at a point to really put a stamp on the fight. And he did do that, too. He did that. He fought it all in the beautiful parts. And Joshua, that energy dip and not being able to keep up with the the pace that Usage was applying on, Right with the, and it's not just like a pace of like throwing a lot of punches. It's a pace of footwork. It's a pace of feints. It's a pace of, of just constant action. Constantly have to respond. Constantly have to think. It was just too much. It was too much at that point, and now Joshua, who loses the fight, has to come back and, you know, what is it? What does he do in the rematch? Which is gonna be a rematch, and I know see every people getting mad about the, uh, you know, the immediate rematch, right, in the contract. And I don't, I never, I don't understand that. I don't understand those takes. Th- those are usually good for the challenger. That he gets an immediate rematch, right? Because th- 
first of all, the fights are already a decent payday, right? And so the probably the biggest fight he's gonna get, especially like with Plant Canelo. You don't think Plant beats Canelo? He's not gonna want to fight him again for a good payday like that. And already knows he can already feels like he can beat him if that were to happen. And Usyk, you don't think he feels pretty confident he could beat Joshua again? And who's he, he gonna fight other than Joshua if he doesn't fight Joshua next? Wilder and Fury are fighting. They're already hard enough to get Fury in the ring. Wilder's across the street. Like, well, who is he gonna fight? Joe Joyce? Is that gonna make a is that gonna make a killing for him? So I don't understand, you know, why is it a uh, immediate rematch? Because Joshua's the star, that's why. And if you fight him, you're fighting the star. And if you happen to beat the star, you gotta beat him again. You have to really beat him. That's just the case of it. That's just the honest truth of it. But it's good for usage. He's fighting a superstar and he feels confident he can beat him. Because he just did. But what does Joshua have to do in this rematch? I think he has to add a little more size. I don't think I think coming in light is taking away the one like the, the key key advantage that he has in this fight. Now he knows that he can box with Usage. I don't think they, I don't think he's gonna get I didn't think it was that one sided. I don't think that he gets just completely like outclassed in a boxing match. I, I didn't see that. That's not what I saw. Now everybody wants to see that, or that's the narrative they want after the fight, but really it was just a really good competitive fight that Joshua lost. But we always have to go hyperbolic with it. But I think that he sees that he can box with Usage. And if he has the size on him, his punches might mean a little bit more. Now I think the a big critical part was in the, the first three rounds. I don't think he had a direction on where he, which way he wanted to go with this fight. Was he going to apply pressure? And I don't mean just bum rush, but he's just going to push forward and build momentum. Or was he going to box and start moving around the ring and make Usyk walk into some things, right? Because I thought that's what would have been the strategy, is that Joshua was going to be a lot more movement, moving backwards and make Usyk walk into shots. Instead of just standing in the middle of the ring and let Usyk move around all over the place and jump in when he wants, start moving and let Usyk had to come in, let him have to get creative, let him have to set a tone in the fight. But Joshua didn't do any of that the first three rounds. And then even in the, the fight, he kind of just was boxing. And he did very good, like I said. I think he did a lot better than everyone thought. I think if he would have said it was going to be that type of fight, you would have thought Usyk just really schooled him. He never really schooled him in this fight. He just won the fight. So I think Joshua has to add size. I think that's really important. And I think he has to know from round one what is he what is he looking to do in this fight and apply that. Don't look to respond because Usage is so good. And then Usage is going to have you do one thing. And then as soon as you feel like you feel you caught up to that pace, he's going to do something else. So apply your style in this fight. I think Joshua needs to do that. Is he is this fight unwinnable for him? The problem that I have is the energy dips, right? And as if it, this is going to stay a competitive fight like this, and we've seen that Usage is not afraid of taking the power, Joshua's always going to have those energy dips late. That's just, this is who he is. He's going to have those. And in a close fight, Usage is always going to get the better of it towards the end. So Joshua's going to have to do some damage early to slow down Usage or, or get a big round where he's like 10 8. You know what I mean? Get, get, win enough rounds early that he has to survive late. So the energy chips is going to be there no matter what happens. So I think he just, might as well just put more weight on. Why then? If it's going to happen, even if you're at your lightest, might as well just put more weight on so your punches mean more. I don't think that Joshua is un, in, incapable of winning the rematch. I don't believe that at all. And I think people thought that when he was fighting Ruiz, that he was incapable of winning the rematch. You know, there were people that said that had that take. And I, I just, I don't think that's the case. I think he's very talented. I think that, I don't think this diminished Joshua, even in my opinion. 
And people were saying he's cheating. Usage is damn good, and he landed clean shots. And I think if he lands clean shots like that on anyone, he's gonna hurt. He, he could do some damage. He didn't drop them. He stood up. Was he hurt? Yes. But I gained more respect for Joshua, who I already had a lot of respect for. Who, you know, this is gonna happen when you're fighting the best guys over and over again. And he's fighting. His resume is better than everyone else's. And the list of guys he fights are tougher than everyone else fights. And I don't know that if Fury or Wilder ran through, uh, went through the same guys that he did, that they would come out undefeated. I don't believe that. I think that they probably lose one or two. I think that he's very talented, and I just think that again, I just think that anyone goes in there with him, you either box him, or you want to go to war with him, you're in, you're in for a fight. There's no, he's not easy work for anyone, and I think that he could very well come back. And with a little bit of size, apply some pressure, it might catch usage and put him out cold. And it's possible usage comes back and he's even better and more comfortable at heavyweight because he's damn good himself. And he might be the best uh, the best fighter in the world. He could. He's in the debate now. But don't forget that you guys didn't even have him in your top 10. You didn't even want him in your top 10. So don't forget that as well because everybody's saying now that he's number one. And I have no problem with that, honestly. I think Canelo... After he goes through 168, won't be any question. But remember that before that, you guys were saying, well, Usage, who the hell did he beat? And who the hell is he? And he can't sound nothing. He can't be in your pound for pound top 10. But now he's number one. So easy. Pump the brakes on, you know, now demanding that he's number one when you didn't even have him on your list. But I think this dude might be the best fighter in the world. And he might be the best heavyweight in the world. He might not just be that he's bad matchup for Joshua. He might be a bad matchup for everyone. The things that he can do, the the... the how talented he is in the ring. Him now feeling comfortable with the heavyweight division. Everybody judged him about the first two fights when I was seeing improvements in the fights. I was seeing him getting the rounds, getting the experience, getting the size, feeling comfortable in the ring. I seen that going in. I knew this was going to be a tough fight. I just thought that Joshua's size would play the ultimate factor in his skill level. I just knew his skill was a lot higher than what people were giving it. And he, to me, he proved it. To me, he proved me right. Now, a lot of times predicting the outcome is tough. I think that you can guess that and be right maybe 50% of the time, right? You can even get luck on a lucky streak and be set right 75% of the time, 80% of the time. But can you play out how the fight is going to look? And I feel like I'm pretty good at doing that. I feel like I'm usually dead on with that. This fight played out kind of how I thought it would look. Joshua's power uh, size just didn't make a difference, and his power didn't make a difference. And I think that he was afraid to commit to really powerful shots because he was afraid of the energy dip. And he knew that this fight was going to be close to competitive, and he had to save something left. It didn't matter. He still had an energy dip. The rematch is a really big fight. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for the buildup for it. And there'll be a lot of pressure on Joshua. But I think that even if he were to lose the rematch, I still don't know how that diminishes him as a fighter. I would still want to see him fight Fury. I would still want to see him fight Wilder. I would still want to see him fight all the other top heavyweight guys. Joe Joyce. And Usage should just move on and fight other guys too. I don't understand why we like, you have to be done. He has to be retired. Why? It's just, this. Maybe he just can't beat this man. That happens too in boxing. Why do we want a guy to disappear? This is a great talent. Just can't beat this one guy. It's just a weird perspective we have when it comes to the fight game. I want to go over the undercard just real quick. Uh, Lawrence Acoli did what he had, he had to do. You know, if uh, Prasovic was going to have a chance in that fight, it, it was going to look like how the fight turned out, actually. It was like the way it played out. Uh, Acoli being kind of aggressive, looking to get the finish, but Prasovic still 
was why that's why it was so impressive for from uh to me what Akoli did because he still blew him out of there even though he kind of you know he kind of you know when they say you get the belt you you become a better fighter you got a new confidence something new uh, another peppier step right another uh level you go up that's what kind of looked like kind of looked like Akoli just had really come into his own as a fighter and he just really applied. Just took out Prasovic. And I thought Prasovic, I thought maybe he was going to bore Prasovic to death and then knock him out late. No, he just went and uh, applied his game to him and took him out of there. And that's what he should do. And that's the way you gain attention, right? And now people are already talking about him in the heavyweight division. And now look at Usyk's a champ and he's not, uh, he comes from the same weight division that Okoli's at right now. Wouldn't that be a great fight? Interesting fight going forward, right? If Okoli can. Uh, unify a, a cruiserweight and then move to heavyweight and fight Usage after Usage if he could beat Joshua the second time, that's a, that's a damn good fight for Matchroom right there. That's a damn good heavyweight fight, a damn good fight in the in Europe. I thought I really liked the performance. Also, you had um, I want to say it's Colin Smith or Liam Smith. I'm gonna look this up. Yeah, Colin Smith, sorry. Let's think of his brother. Okay, Colin Smith, who, you know, just lost to Canelo, uh, really smoked by Canelo, and people wanted to really throw dirt in his name at that point, just saying that, you know, it was really, it's a shot at Canelo. It's American fans that are just mad because, you know, Canelo went and fought a European fighter, and maybe people don't like Canelo, don't want to give him credit for those type of wins, right? But I think I think uh, Colin Smith's a, very, a damn good fighter. I thought he was very talented. I thought he was fairly ranked the best one sixty eight guy in the world. And I know that people want to say Plant or Benavides, but they they don't really fought anyone. And I thought that maybe Colin Smith's resume isn't that deep, but it was better than theirs. And I I stand by that at that point. And Canelo beat him right, and he smoked him, and it wasn't close. And then you at that after you know everybody after the hindsight of seeing that says, ah, oh, he was never that good. That's why it looked like that. Well, he goes to 175, and he knocks out Castillo. And Castillo had just fought. Um, I believe that Castillo, I'm going to look it up right now because I just want to make sure I'm right before I say this. Because sometimes I do these podcasts, and I say something, and then I'm looking up, and I'm like, no. And I just, I got I went on rambling, and sometimes I got I to gotta back up my stuff. Yeah, he did. He just fought Bivol to a decision. Right, and I saw that fight, and it was boring. And Bavol, you know, was better than him, and he couldn't do anything to Bavol. But it wasn't like Bavol did what Okoli did the the fight before, where he just applied all that pressure and really established his dominance. He didn't do that. Well, Smith did, and he put him out cold. And hopefully, Castillo is healthy and alert and okay now because that knockout was brutal, and it's going to be candidate for knockout of the year. And Smith looked like what I, what he had looked like before he fought Canelo. And he looks like a problem at 175 now. And now 175 is looking all right for Matchroom, especially because Ryder's moving up. And you have uh, Golden Boys get worth the uh, Ramirez, who I think is a makeable fight and with Bivol. But, you know, I expect that, that fight to age well for Canelo. And I think that uh, we're going to see that those... Uh, European guys were a lot tougher than we wanted to get that they wanted than people wanted to give him credit for. And I think that what he does to plant, well, it might look kind of similar, honestly. It might look a lot similar to, to that Colin Smith fight. That's not my official prediction, but it's kind of where I'm leaning.
let's work our way to the UFC card. And we had Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega. And was extremely entertaining fight. But it had me thinking, right? Because this is Brian Ortega's second title fight. And it's the second time he's been brutally beaten in these fights. And I understand that the fight was entertaining. Um, entertaining doesn't mean close, though. And I think that's maybe that's uh, a misconception of the way we're thinking of this fight. Uh, post-fact of what happened. Is that Brian Ticket did almost land a, a guillotine. And then he did almost land a triangle. And he did take a bunch of shots. And he did keep coming forward. But he got destroyed in that fight. And he was never close, besides the submissions part, was he ever close to the level that Volkanovski is at? And he, when he fought Holloway, he was never close to the level that Holloway is at. And I understand him being tough. I understand, um, you know, he has the, um, you know, his Mexican fighting style, Mexican heart. I, I get that. And I get that he has some really cool knockouts. And when he does win, he, he wins in dominant fa- uh, fashion. I get that. I see all those things. Brian Ortega is not that level. And I don't think he's ever going to be that level. And I think that the improvements he made just to get to the point where he's at now are, are, are very, like, very big leaps in talent and very big leaps in skill and very big leaps in technique. And to beat a guy like Volkanovski or Holloway or one of the top guys at that weight, which 145 is a very tough weight because there's a lot of people that weigh that much. So that means you're getting a lot a big, giant talent pool of people. So you're usually getting some of the best fighters in the world. And the thing about 145 is a lot of those guys are too small to play other sports. So they have the athleticism and the skills to play other sports, but they just don't have the size to really play baseball where you have guys that are like 6'4", 6'5", football or basketball. Okay, that, that that's another issue. Or even like rugby or, you know, other, other sports and other, uh, across the world. That's why fighting so fair is, right? Is it don't matter what size you are, you 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 will, they have a um, weight class for you. They have a, Division for you to keep competing where the size won't make a difference. And Ortega to compete at that thing would have to make a, no, a whole another leap. And I just don't think that's possible. I'm, I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that if I'm a betting man, I'm going to say he doesn't make that leap because that would be a whole other massive leap other than the one he made. I, I just can't see it. It just is. He does not have the stand up. He doesn't have the the mind fast enough twitch to see and make the actions and respond the way he needs to, to be competitive with Volkanovski, who's doing a lot of things when he's standing up. He's fainting. He's moving you. He's combinations. He's up, down. There's a lot of things happening. And Ortega just can't respond to it because he just can't see it. He's not, he's not, if he's a batter, they can't hit the ball. He's not seeing the ball. That's what they say in baseball. He's not seeing the ball. He's not seeing it. He's not seeing what Volkanovski's doing. He's not seeing what Holloway's doing. And he's taking two beatings like this. And these are massive beatings. These are not healthy for you. He could, he may not be the same fighter. I didn't think he'd be the same fighter after the Holloway fight. He's definitely not going to be the same fighter after this one. You can only take so many of those. It's look at Tony Ferguson after the Gaethje fight. This this is the similar the beatings that, that, that Ortega's taking. Now there's questions of, um, should they stop the fight? What did he say in between the rounds when they asked him if he could see? It looked like he was completely out of it. And at one point, he just laid on the floor after the end of the round. And I thought it was over then. I thought he was just saying, I can't even get up. It was a beating. He took an absolute beating. He looked good in the last round. I think 
because he has good cardio and he has a lot of heart and he would need a lot of cardio and a lot of heart to withstand the shots that he takes. But he's just not at that level. I don't think he'll ever get there. And Alex Volkanowski is a man that needs to be respected. He's an he's definitely in the pound for pound. He's you know definitely one of the best one forty fives I've ever seen. The things he do, he he does with his um, the things he could do with his grappling, the things he could do with his striking. The striking thing though is is really what's putting him leaps. Uh, uh, is what it's what puts him above Brian Ortega or puts him above all all basically everyone else besides Max Holloway. Is what he could do with the striking and the movement and the variety that he's given you and and moving you around and fading you and just having you think and just being like, man, this guy's doing a lot of stuff and I, I'm just trying to catch up. I'm trying to do a, a giant math problem while this guy's punching me in the face. I think him and Mac Holloway are clearly above everyone at that weight division. I believe Rob Font could be there. I, 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 He's passed every test to get to this point, but he has not faced these two guys. These two guys, the level that they're they're at right now, no one has seen that. And so we don't really know what anyone is below them because when they get to that level, it's a whole new introduction. And I've seen Ortega there twice, and he's taken a beating twice. And it hasn't been close. And I, I think Volkanovski versus Holloway 3 is the fight to make. And I think we need to get closure on this fight. The, you know, the second one, people fell. Holloway won. The first one, Volkanovski, clearly won. And let's get this third fight. And the, to me, the two guys are fighting at the highest uh, highest level at that weight division currently right now. Brian Ortega, I would say, you know, don't book him right away. I would love to see him fight. They say uh, Holloway's fighting Yair next. I don't think Yair could win that fight. I think he's in a similar spot. Brian Ortega, I'm not saying that his stand-up, his stand-up is, to me, is a lot looser. Uh, then Brian Ortega, he does have, I don't think he could get like in a boxing match with Holloway. I think he'd get chopped up in that. He needs to stay creative. But I don't think he's at that level yet. And I think Holloway will win that fight. And I think that Ortega versus Yair is a, is a really fun, interesting fight. And the two guys are very creative. And just may be, you know, just below the, the cream of the crop at that weight division. Valentina Shevchenko fought on the co-main event versus uh, Lauren Murphy. And I just got to be honest with you, Lauren Murphy is a below-average fighter. Now, she may be, uh, if you're grading on a curve, she's a good fighter in that weight division. On a curve, if you're grading on a curve. But if you're not grading on a curve and you're just fairly grading the fight, Valentina Shevchenko is a damn good fighter. And Lauren Murphy is a below-average fighter. She does not have that athleticism, explosion, technique. To be a very good fighter. To be even a good fighter. And that's just the truth of it. And it's it's tough to say. But, I mean, what's the point of me talking about fights if I'm not going to call it the way I see it? Lauren Murphy does not have anything that stands out in fighting. Okay? She's not even really well-rounded because she's not really good at stand-up. She's not really good on the ground. She's nothing. She's not good at really anything. She just kind of knows it. And she's just... Trying to apply what she knows, but it's very. If you're watching what her versus Shoshenko, it looks like it's two different, uh, just two different. I don't even know what what, to, what they're just not even close to each other. They're not even close to the realm of talent of each other, and it gets to the point where it's almost diminishing Val, Valentina because it's almost to the point where it's like, hey, you should just blow her out in the first round, and I just. 
I think that I know we want to say how great Valentina is. And I think she's very good. I think she is great. I think she is all those things. But her fighting below Irish fighters is no longer entertaining to me. And I think they're going to have to get very creative with these matchmaking. Because the, what, what, if this keeps going, it's, there's no need for it anymore. There really isn't. And the, if the talent isn't there, then the talent isn't there. But the UFC needs to invest money into women's fighting and start recruiting high-level talent and start bringing them in and start teaching them because what we're at here now is a real dip in, in talent. And having uh, Valentina just, you know, kind of play with their food, it, it, it's, not, it's not entertaining. It's not fun to watch. And going into these fights where the person just doesn't have the skill level, like the like legitimately skill level or attributes to compete, it's it's not it's it's no longer entertaining. It's no longer fun, and I think it uh, diminishes Shevchenko's career almost in a way. I think people are going to lose interest. Now let's go. I want the last fight I want to cover it was Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler, and. It was a weird fight because it was entertaining. Like, well, last that was a highly entertaining fight. It was one of the more entertaining fights of the card. And it was competitive. Like, it was back and forth with Robbie Lawler I thought, and uh, Nick Diaz. And I thought they were both landing. I thought Nick Diaz was landing decent body shots. And I thought he was going to look a lot worse than he did look. And this is saying this after he quit. After uh, Robbie Lawler landed a, a big shot that broke his, it clearly broke uh, Nick Diaz's nose. But I still thought he looked better than I thought he was going to look when he went in there. Because I thought this was, and I said it on Twitter, this is like a celebrity fight, old guy fight, and no one wants to admit it. And I think it was that, but the skill level was still decent. And the hunger was still there for Robbie, for sure. And I think that Nick went in there and wanted to do good, but he looked out of shape. Which is not a surprise to me for the Diaz brothers, who I think, um, well, are now both are fighting out of their division, right? Because Nick didn't want to cut away for this fight. So he was fighting at middleweight, and Nate, you know, he refuses to cut weight to his real weight, which is 155. So now we're just seeing them fight guys that are, um, well, Robbie Lutter was, was 170, but you're just seeing Nick not fight the weight that he should be fighting at. Um, you're seeing the, you know, interesting choices of his career, like just giant gaps of, you know, missing his prime, I would say. Um, and I know that he quit in the ring, but... I still was all right with the performance. And at that, at that age, right, in the the pace that that fight was, I was okay. I was like, okay, he got a big shot landed, his nose broken. And Nick Diaz has never quit before. He, he put on great performances before, left it all out there before. Yeah, he, he's doing one. He could, he could have that one. And do I need to see Nick Diaz fight again? I don't. But... I'm not saying that he looks so bad that I don't want to see him fight again, right? That if he if he went in there, I wouldn't be like, oh, let's see what he, you know, see what he has. I would hope they would be at welterweight, but I don't think he has interest in fighting anymore. And he he's clearly telling us that. And you you can dissect it however you want, or think he means this, or he's not being able to explain himself clearly. He says right there he doesn't want to fight anymore. I think that's clear as day. Now Robbie Lawler. He came in, he's still professional. He was a he was a better fighter than when Nick first fought him. And when Robbie was just slugging it out. No, he has more skill now. And I think that Nick saw that. 
Nick felt that, and that's why this fight looked a little more different, and Nick was definitely getting landed on a lot more than their uh, first fight, which was like 20 years ago. But I don't, you know, Robbie Lawler's definitely not going to win a title anytime soon. I just thought, I just thought people were critical of it. I don't understand. It was an entertaining fight for however long it lasted. It, it served its purpose. And the Diaz brothers will probably, you know, go down you know, strange careers. And, um, you know, as far as, like, trying to become a champion, I think they didn't make the right moves. But... As far as being stars and making themselves stars and definitely for guys that are like aren't great on the mic or, you know, exa- aren't exactly like the most charismatic guys in the world, they did it in their own way. And I think that they did their career in their own way. And that's basically what their legacy will go down is just always doing things in their own way and not really following anyone's steps or doing the the next obvious move. They just, you never knew what they're going to do. That's, this is Nick Diaz ending like that was entertaining him not choosing to go on after the broken nose was unexpected but everything in this guy's career is unexpected that's the legacy of him and nate it's unexpected it's not the way you would ever write it up it's not ever the way you would think you could never guess where he's gonna go next you never you would never think that you would never pick these guys and be like oh these guys are two stars right here and it all they did it their way they're originals and if that's the way Nick goes out, it was still entertaining. It was Nick Diaz. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast. <laughs>